Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life podcast. Before we get started, if you could take two moments of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that will help others just like yourself, those curious and inquisitive minds, find out about the Mosaic Life podcast and, of course, help me as a podcaster continue growing and providing better and more interesting content. One quick announcement before we get started. I have made the decision. I am going to start transitioning the One Mosaic Life Instagram account over to my personal Instagram at Trey Kaufman. That's T-R-E-Y-K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. I've simply realized it is far too difficult to try to maintain multiple Instagram and social media accounts, and I would love the opportunity to provide the content I post on either one to both audiences. It is always my goal, whether I'm posting for the podcast or my personal life, to provide the highest value content. And so never will you get fluff or harshly worded opinion posts. I want to continue growing alongside you. So please, I invite you to follow at Trey Kaufman on Instagram. I will continue posting on at One Mosaic Life for the time being, but I will begin transitioning that over. And in regard to Facebook, the Mosaic Life podcast will remain as is. I want to have that audience and that channel available for further discussions. So again, please follow at Trey Kaufman on Instagram. Today, I am so excited to welcome an old guest onto the podcast for the first time ever. I'm bringing on a previous guest uh, to join me for another conversation. Robbie Herbst, you'll remember from episode 37. He's an old, old friend of mine. And uh, when he came on, we had a great conversation about meditation, about how we can change our lives through our practices and even through the books we read, which is the basis for this conversation. Since close to the inception of this podcast, I have been asking guests what book has changed their lives for the better. It is honestly, and I know I've said this over and over, become a cheat code for me because I go out of my way to pick these books up and read them. And uh, Robbie was one of the first guests whose advice I took in this regard. Um, his book was Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And before reading it, I, I knew it was going to be tough for me to buy into its message. I have been a meat eater through and through since I was a, since I was a child, and I never thought twice about it. And I still eat meat, don't get me wrong, but I have started making smarter and better decisions in regard to where that comes from, which we, we really get into during this conversation. The book, Eating Animals, and subsequently the documentary have completely reshaped my perception on both the industry and the food that we put into our bodies. So after listening to this conversation, I highly encourage you at least check it out. Listen to the book, read it, pick it up, watch the documentary, anything to better educate yourself on where your food is coming from. And before we get started, as a reminder, if you don't remember Robbie or if you have not had a chance to listen to episode 37 or even his meditation that he provided us as a podcast, 
Outside of his life in the marketing world, Robbie is a meditation teacher. He's experimented with his own practice for nearly a decade now, and his experience with meditation has not only changed his life, but inspired him to teach others. And within the last year, he created Tune Inward, a meditation community focused on making meditation accessible and practical for all. Please welcome back to the podcast, my guest, Robbie Herbst. Welcome to the Mosaic Life podcast. I'm I'm exceptionally excited about this because for the longest time, even before Ernie decided to venture out on his own, I've been talking about the eventuality of having a previous guest back on the podcast, and that time has come, and I'm really excited to uh, welcome Robbie Herbst back to the podcast. Robbie, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. How's um? I, we're we're going to get into the beef of this podcast here in a moment, but uh, obviously one of the biggest aspects of our conversation previously was meditation and tune inward. How I want to check up on you. How how's that going with you know everything related to COVID and and life outside of the the work environment? Are you still moving forward with tune inward and and mindfulness and meditation? Yeah. And I know that the conversation today is going to go in a much different direction. <laughs> yes, but uh, we will we'll get to that. But meditation wise, it's it's going great, and it's going great, uh, especially in my practice and my personal practice, and helping me deal with a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. And regarding tune inward, things are a little slow rolling, but you know that's that's all that's all good. It's. Uh, it comes with the territory, but I've been just keeping up on the practice, keeping up on teaching here and there and enjoying it. So just really trying to enjoy it as it unfolds. That's great. I, I so highly respect that. I try my best to consistently practice my meditation, but it, it, it's, it happens fewer times than I'd like to admit. And that's, I, I know we've talked previously about, you know, building that steady practice, but it's just something that I, I really need to, to set the priority for. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really something that I find a lot of value in and I really want to pursue it more. And I, I don't expect you to have an answer for that, but uh, I, I really appreciate the, the thoughtfulness that you, you've brought to the conversation in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, you know where to find me. I'm yes. here to help if you need to. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so today's going to be a little bit different. Um, one of my favorite things to bring up on any guest um, conversation or interview is talking about books and specifically ones that have changed the lives of the guests on the podcast. And uh, this is something that Robbie and I have been talking about doing for, for some time. And uh, the goal here is to talk about Robbie's life-changing book, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, but I want to dig deeper because up until this point, it's always been, you know, a something to bring the conversation to a close and to let the listeners think on that for just a moment and maybe pursue that book and, and read it themselves. But I really want to dig into why that book had such profound impact in your life. And Robbie, for, for you, that was Eating Animals by Jonathan Saffron Foer, um, which is a little bit different than any of the books I've ever had mentioned before. And I read it and it was, it's actually had a, a fairly profound impact on my own life, uh, which I truly appreciate. Um, so let's just, let's just jump right in and let's talk about why, how, how you came to find that book and how it had such a profound impact on your own life. Yeah. 
I, well, first of all, I know that from previous conversations that we've had that we are both pretty avid readers. Um, and it seems like even during our conversation, we reference books and, and, and trade traded books. So Absolutely. that's really cool. So when you asked me that question originally of what that life-changing book was, it took a long time for me to think about that because there are so many different types of books out there, so many different books that can have impacts in so many different ways. And I wanted to think of one that it was one of those books that after I read it, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Yeah. And I couldn't stop thinking about it in terms of my health, in terms of the choices that I've made or that I was making and had made. And I will preface this uh, by saying that I uh, had originally read this book after making the choice to become vegetarian. And one of the things that really appealed to me as I read this book was, first of all, Jonathan Saffron Foer is an incredible writer. He's yes. a very good storyteller. And what I liked about it is that it was part investigative report. So he goes pretty deep into the history and into the accounts of what happens in the animal agriculture industry and goes very in depth in terms of the treatment and methods that are carried out to process fish, to yeah. process chickens, cows, pigs, everything. He goes pretty in depth on that. But what I also like about it is that there's a story to it. It's also almost a part memoir where he includes the reflections from his family, from his personal experiences and choices. And he also has a son around this time when he's writing the book. So it seems like he's thinking about how he's going to pass on his knowledge, his, his actions to his son and thinking about this huge elephant in the room of what we eat, what we put on our plate every day. And this was actually my second time reading it. I had read it a pretty long, I read it a while ago. And what was interesting this time is the first time I read it, I was really anti-meat, anti, <laughs> anti, uh, animal industry. Yeah. And this time when I read it, it was a little bit different because um, I've now actually been vegan for three plus years now. Okay. So I've thought about this enough yeah. that I wasn't, you know, so anti on that anti meat train. And this time there were parts of the story that I was picking up that were, that had stood out to me that didn't before. And it was more of the small time farmer. So the non animal agriculture, right. Corporate farmer. And what some of those people are trying to do and the struggle that they're having against these essentially Goliaths of industry yeah. crushing their history and generations of and these are people who are trying to farm the way farming used to be. And that's not the case anymore. Right. And yeah. I think influentially, I would just my last point is just that this book really makes you think. And once you read it, it it's something that carries with you. Some Sometimes you'll read a book and you'll learn some stuff and and, and think that, that was really fascinating. This one really sticks with you. It does. It really does. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I told you from the moment when we first started talking about this book in the previous episode that it's going to be a hard sell for me, but it, he sold it. And, you know, to your point, when you start reading the book, Jonathan, uh, the, the author, he makes it very clear, like this, this is a non-judge 
or there's a, a judgment-free zone these next 200 some pages you know he's just here to tell a story about how the industry is and its effect on his own life and you feel that from the very beginning there at no point in that book was he ever saying readers of this book need to become a vegetarian or vegan that, that is never said and coincidentally I, I, I've come to appreciate not only where my meat comes from, but also question if that's still even the right decision for me to continue continue consuming that. So I give Jonathan a lot of credit. Robbie, I give you a ton of credit for, for turning me on to this. Um, so you mentioned two things. Are, are, are you, Well, I guess two conflicting things. Are you a vegetarian or a vegan now? I am curious. Sure. I am full vegan now, okay. actually. So it's been about three, more than three years now. I think it was July 2017. And that really just came out of being vegetarian um, from like, I think it was like January 2013-ish. So that would be eight years total. But I would say, you know, vegan for now. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and probably always, honestly, it's been three years. I'm still alive. I feel great. I'm, you know. <laughs> That's good. That's, that's, that's all that's really important. So I, I am curious because a lot of times when you have, I don't want to say argument in a, in a negative sense, but when you have these, these conversations between a vegan or vegetarian and a, and a carnivore or meat eater, a lot of times the conversation is, oh, how do you get your nutrients? How do you get your protein? How, I mean, I guess I, I will ask that question of you who, who are very level headed. I'm just how do you make that transition from having meat in your diet to not having it and making sure that all your, your body is getting everything that it needs? That's a great question. The, the, the process of, of going from eating meat, which, you know, I was eating meat for a majority of my life. Right. So a majority of my life still has been consumption of, of, uh, of meat, of dairy, and, you know, I was fine with that. And I was actually one of those people who at, even in, in college and in the years leading up to being a vegetarian was just, you know, I could never do that as I was tearing into a burger or something like that, or touting about the, uh, the, the greatness of bacon, which right. is a very popular thing, by the way, <laughs> it's, it's really just, it's a choice. And, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit, but there came a point where it was, it was an awareness of what I was doing every day, an awareness of what I was putting into my body. Right. And it didn't necessarily stem from any sort of health issues or concerns at the time. But it got, I, there were some things that got me thinking about that and, and, and things about, got me thinking about what I, essentially the choices that I make on a daily basis. And the, the biggest one is probably food because most of us eat three right. plus times a day. So I started to educate myself. I, I, I'm a really curious person. I don't like to jump on a bandwagon without researching, without educating myself and coming to an informed decision. Yeah. So listening to people, you know, it wasn't like a tribe of vegans, you know, influenced me and argued me to, to, to give up. Uh, it was, even though those people are out there, I, I am proudly, uh, I would say I'm not one of those people. I've learned very early on that nobody wants to hear you, um, talk about how meat is bad. It, that's the quickest way to, to, uh, to meet some resistance. Yeah. So it really started with education. And the first, one of the first things that 
really helped me on that guide, and this could just go down a, a train of resources, would be um, I read, it was when the China study was super popular. Right. Um, so that's a that was a really important book for me early on. And I would say that that started me thinking about preventative health. It started thinking, um, you know, almost the choices I make now are eventually going to meet up with me later on. Absolutely. Or show their head later on and was really just thinking about the impacts that animal protein and protein from dairy, especially milk, can really do some, really have some long-term effects. And this was coming from, <laughs> I was reading the book and, you know, thinking of all the all the stuff that I was eating and it was a little bit alarming um, if, if it was actually true. And it's the China study is one of the most comprehensive studies and um, a lot of dietary areas, more specifically around um, animals and animal you, agriculture and you, leaning more towards a plant-based diet. Can you give a very high so, level like overview of that study? And you may have just done that, but I, I've never read that. So I am curious of into which areas that really delves. Sure. It has been so long since I've read it. So I feel like I would honestly butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I will um, link to it. Too, I, feel, sure. I, I feel like I would butcher it, but there were some things about, um, trying to, man, it's been, it's been a while, but there were some things about studies on casein, which is the main protein or casein, however it's pronounced, which is one of the main proteins in milk. Um, okay. how that ultimately makes tumors grow. They gave, um, I think it was a, a series. It was, they gave rats, um, this, this, per, this aflatoxin, um, which I think is a cancer causing agent. If I remember correctly, again, this is me reaching back way into the archives of my brain. And they then gave, um, they fed, they increased the dosage basically of casein in one of the rat groups and the tumors and markers and stuff just blew up Jeez. basically. Yeah. But there are there are a lot of other studies and in, um, in different cultures about uh, you know eating meat, consuming dairy, and just what it's doing um, to everybody. And really, after reading that book and starting to jump into the world of documentaries like um, Forks Over Knives, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, some of those early ones that are pretty big now to, today, but right. just starting to watch those, trying to be objective about watching those. And keeping an open mind, I just started to notice similar patterns, similar themes. And it really went from something that was thinking about preventative health in the future to eventually thinking about environmental impact um, that the animal agriculture is having and how the choices I'm making, even if I'm going through like an ignorance is bliss type lifestyle, that it's impacting something somewhere else. And in this case that we'll talk about, the planet as a whole. Right. And then also started just thinking about animal welfare because this is an industry that does some of the most horrific and cruel things to animals imaginable. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the first thing that sticks out of my mind uh, when you mention that, uh, so for people who aren't aware, uh, eating animals, there's also a documentary. I mean, it was, it was filmed based off of the book, correct? Jonathan was not in the documentary, but I think he consulted on it, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, based on the book, and the book was written in 20, 
2009. And then the documentary, I think, is more recent. Yeah. So I thought that was cool that they, because 2000, a lot of things have happened since 2009. Oh, yeah. So it's cool that that documentary has come out, I think, in the last few years. Yeah. And, you know, the point, the point I wanted to make is obviously in the book, KFC is is really you know put under a microscope, and I, I can't remember the exact number. I've got it written down somewhere, but they have uh, millions of millions of birds are slaughtered each year, or maybe even billions, because of KFC. And you know that just reading that initially made me you know hate the company. I mean it, you know that the amount of torture they they subject these birds to is, is, is a horrible tragedy. And so I just, I thought, you know, from, from now all the way back to their, their inception, it was just a horrible company, but the, the film does a little bit better talking about Colonel Sanders and and the way he was raised and the way he actually built the company. And he, his goal was to never have, you know, anything changed, not only with the recipe, but with the company and putting good out into the world. And then unfortunately, when it was bought, that's when the corporation took over and, you know, really caused all of, uh, all of this, I guess, yeah, I mean, maybe hyper being a hyperbolic a little bit, but causing all this tra- uh, tragedy within the uh, animal industry. And it was just really interesting that uh, not everything is always as it seems on the surface. And, and uh, the stories we hear, there's a lot more to them. Exactly. And I think there was something in the book that it was it I don't know if it was the major supplier for them or for another fast food chain, but they talked about how it was one of the main fast food chain supplier. It was it was named as like a supplier of the year and referenced that workers have been documented to be like stomping spray painting yes. on spitting tobacco on yep. tearing heads off it, yeah. it's just the the tree and that's a supplier of the year yeah that, i mean it's 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 mind-blowing really the entire industry is completely corrupt and obviously bought and paid for and uh, the USDA, which is supposed to govern that, is they're they have com- conflicting interests. They've they're supposed to you know obviously ensure food quality, but at the same time they need to promote industry, and you can't do one without harming the other, um, which becomes a, a huge huge problem, um, which just sucks. Um, and I will say to to delve into how the book affected me just a little bit. You know, when after our initial conversation, Robbie, I went out, got the book, I read it. Um, and just right off the bat, I, I knew I needed to make a change because I, I personally do my best to be as healthy as possible. I, I don't eat sugar and I, I stopped eating sugar years ago because of a documentary that I watched and I can't remember what it was, but obviously there's the, the, <clears throat> the, uh, New York times article where there was uh, corruption and a study that was done, you know, bastardizing fats, whereas, you know, in making sugar seem like it was uh, the better alternative, and so after reading Eating Animals, I decided to explore my local farmer's market, which I've never done before. And it's, I really, really enjoy going there and, and actually talking with the people who run these farms and raise these animals. It's been really insightful. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed doing that. And I, I will say that I have gotten uh, more comfortable eating plant-based um, meats. I guess you can call them that if you want to, but uh, they're beyond the impossible. And I, it's it's it seems like it's a viable alternative to move away from, um, you know, the, the not only the the slaughtering of these animals, but also the raising of the 
millions and billions of them and really truly affecting, which are really truly affecting our uh, environment. Right. And that's great. That's uh, what have been with your, with the alternatives, what have been some of your favorites so far? In regard to the meat alternatives? Yeah. 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 I, um, I, 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 one of the, one thing that I will give my credit, myself credit for, if I even want to call it that, is I do not have a picky palate, like not at all. And so as long as it's palatable, I'll eat it and then I'll, I'll be happy. So really beyond and impossible, those are the two that I've had, I, either grilling them up on the grill or even just putting them in the air fryer, I've, I've got no issue with. So they really do taste a lot like meat. Um, and I, I will give them credit for that. And you get the essential proteins and nutrients from them in the same way that you would, uh, from, um, uh, you know, a, a meat based product. Yeah. Uh, and I will tell you from, uh, from, from going down this route for a number of years now, the alternatives today and the barrier to entry is so much lower today than it used to be. I remember, uh, the first time I ever bought a vegan cheese, I, re- I was just really, really, really craving a, grilled cheese sandwich yeah and at the time the 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 plant-based cheese market was not great (laughs) and i just remember i just on the skillet just burnt the bread so bad and the cheese did not even change temperature (laughs) it was it was very it was very disappointing but today i I will say that they have come a long way (laughs) that's good and that's important and the price has come down as well i mean if you really compare the cost between a plant-based product and, you know, high quality grass-fed beef um, there. It's, it's very comparable, um, which I I think will hope help hopefully transition people uh, into consumers of those products. Um, Yeah. The demand, the demand certainly seems much higher and it's, it's making a shift for sure. And that, and, and the good thing about that is, you know, some of those, some of those alternatives are, are good substitutes. I would say almost like a gateway into eating more plant-based. They, again, they make the the barrier to entry much lower. Some of them still aren't the healthiest of foods. I would, I would say, but it's, it's a good way to come to a realization that you don't need to eat something that we're so separated from. Right. But when you peel back the layers, when you when you look behind the curtain is something that is well, it's it's one, you know, from the industry perspective and environmentally, it is one of the it is the major contributor to greenhouse gases. Yeah. And um, more than all automobiles or more more than all transportation systems combined, which is insane. There's a U.N. report. It's it's referenced in (laughs) if you're a plant based person, you know, that report. Um, but it's referenced um, all over the place. But it's just having those alternatives today are great because hopefully if there is more of a shift towards those, it'll be a small step towards bettering the environment and and, and reducing the destruction, basically, that that industry, uh, the animal industry is doing to our planet now. Yeah. And so let's talk about that a little bit more because unfortunately, I don't think very many, or I shouldn't say very many, I just don't think the vast majority of people who eat food, which should be everybody, care enough about the environment to make the switch. Obviously, 
unless you're intentionally burying your head in the sand, you know that animals have to be killed so and so you can eat them. And so obviously that's not changing people's mind. And so what what does enact that change other than these many revelations that you and I have had and you know we can talk about it when like we are doing it right now but you're absolutely right if you say if you bring up the fact that you're a vegan to anybody automatically you know they've got they've got earmuffs on they they don't want to hear it because a lot of times people feel like their identities are being challenged because they grew yeah. up eating meat like you did like I did and when you say that you should not eat meat because it's wrecking our environment or it's not good for you there's they're not going to listen so how do we have that conversation with a vast amount of people yeah that <laughs> that's a really good question um and I, I really wish i knew a good answer to that um i think one of the things that you said is you know people put on earmuffs it's either earmuffs or all of a sudden they become experts in protein intake right and that's usually the first <laughs> question of like where do you get your protein from yeah and i actually i Try try not to to be online too much, but I did see a pretty funny meme that was not gonna. I'm gonna paraphrase it, but it said, um, "You know, we get we can get all of our protein from plants. Absolutely. We know that. The real question is, where do vegans get all their patients from?" <laughs> so that was that that made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to somebody's tradition um, or identity or history. There are obviously many layers to that. If it's if it's something that's cultural, um, you obviously want to be sensitive about that. You don't want to offend anybody's culture um, or, or anything like that. But I, I mean, I, I can't really think of many cultures that are carnivores or carnivore-based cultures. And historically, I've also heard the argument, which I don't think is really the best one, about what cavemen ate um, in referring to meat. Like we've been eating meat since we you know have evolved. Right. The process has obviously changed now. Um, we have better access to food. We're not actually hunters, and we're not using the anim full animal for resources for right. survival. So, I think we can we can move past that one and evolve a little bit more. And you know, it, it's it's really difficult to to have that conversation or to persuade anybody. And early on, whenever I was for whenever I first gave up meat, I was so excited about it that I wanted to tell people about it, and nobody wanted to hear it. <laughs> So I quickly stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and really what I've been trying to do is not really, I mean, I, I really think this is the first time that I've done anything this extensive about it talking wise. I mean, I've had some conversations with family, with some close friends, but I don't really talk about it much. And I think actually where I work now, it took probably them about a year, a year and a half to even realize I was uh, vegan just because I, I prepare food a lot. Yeah. Um, Definitely a much better cook, but I always bring my meals. I never expect something to have a vegan option, even yeah. though they're getting way better, like any restaurant or any social events. But I've just really, I've stayed in the dark about it. And I really just try to let the choices that I make reflect the type of person that I am, Absolutely. reflect the type of character, the way that I carry myself, the way that I feel, the way that I act. And that is, is, is really the type of thing where early on when people were like, what, you know, what diet are you doing? And it's, it's, it's really more of a, you know, a lifestyle change. Oh, I guess technically it is diet because it has to do with what you eat, but right. that word has so much baggage. I know. But I really just, 
I just kept at it, even if if there were people who doubted or slightly made fun of it. And then I started to realize that they started eventually asking questions yeah. um, after it had gone on for a while and after they've experimented with their own or had some, you know, tried some food or if I brought food to something that was, it's like, this is plant-based, like how? Because um, there, there's a lot of vegan junk food out there for sure. Yeah. So you can make it appealing. And again, I, I think it comes back to at least what I've found is just to, um, for my character to reflect that, that the type of person and the type of decisions I've made. And I've, I found that that is actually open more conversations, um, from people who find out about it and, um, or knew about it and see that I'm still sticking with it. Yeah. And I'm sure that breeds a lot more respect, um, and a lot of regards because you weren't there shoving in people's faces. People became curious about it. And when they asked those questions, they had a mindset in which they could learn instead of being defensive, which it, it, it makes me laugh a little bit as you were um, telling the story of how your coworkers discovered that you were vegan. You think about <laughs> fad diets and you can, you can call them whatever you want, but, and I've, I've experimented with many, but like keto, that, that is such a, that's such a, a buzzword and at least it has been over the last five years. And if you're doing keto, oh, you must know everything about health and wellness. You're cutting out carbs, you're you're measuring your ketones, you're, you're doing all of this. And people, I think to a degree, look up to that and say, I wish I could do something that's involved with my diet instead of you know eating ice cream after work. It, I, I'm wondering if we get to the point, hopefully in our lifetimes, where we start talking about are plant-based diets and people look up to you for that. Um, it just, it, it seems like it, a public perception needs to shift and it needs to happen to be able to have, uh, I guess, a positive outlook on, on those particular, again, I know there's a lot of baggage to those diets. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, those are tricky, and I really do also hope we we get to a point where we where we get past those because oftentimes those fad diets are put into place to reach a certain milestone. Right. So sometimes somebody will go on a diet to have a summer body. Sometimes they'll yeah. do that for a wedding. Sometimes they'll do that for X, Y, or Z, whatever reasons. Yeah. There's an end to that diet, That's a good and point. usually what happens, and I think there is a there, there's I've heard of studies, I can't reference any off the top of my head, but you're actually, when you go on a fad diet and lose weight, when that diet's over, you're so much more percentage likely to actually gain more weight or right. whatever, undo it, and then some. Yeah. And it, it's really just a matter of thinking short-term versus long-term. And some of those some of those plans and some of those diets can make you feel great because you're cutting out certain things. But a lot of those, from what I understand, and I haven't really, I haven't looked too much into those. I am very cautious about a lot of those, but right. you really just, yeah, whenever I, whenever I hear those, I, I really try to think of, um, you know, a lot of those aren't sustainable. They're not sustainable for long term. And a lot of them, because they've popped up overnight, they haven't been studied. Right. So the yeah. long term implication, the short term might be like good, but the long term implications of going extreme in some cases uh, is, is not always the best route. Yeah. No, I mean, that you're absolutely right. Um, you know, one question that I haven't had a chance to ask anybody yet, and I'm wondering if you have, 
the people who are vehemently against vegetarianism or veganism, at the beginning, it was very much toward the front of the book uh, of eating animals. Uh, Jonathan brings up the great point of why don't we eat cats and dogs? And you know, there's there's a knee jerk reaction like, why would I ever eat my pet? That's that's absurd. I would never ever do that. But if we think about how many cats and dogs specifically are euthanized every single day because they can't have homes, the shelters are too full, would it not make sense to not only eat the animals that we're going to kill anyway? But, you know, if, if unfortunately we have to put one of our pets down and, you know, they were in good health and it's healthy for us, why would we not do that? And so there's such a weird arbitrary line in the sand between cats and dogs and beef or pigs or, or chickens. It was a, that was an interesting point for sure. And I remember the first time I read it, I wanted to tell somebody about that, but it was just thinking like, in, this is instantly going to ruin any chances of this person <laughs> reading a book if I yeah. talk about his argument for eating dogs. I think that this is, this is one of the things about the book that I like is that he, Foer writes in a way that it makes you think. It, it does. It's not just, he, he really easily could have written a book about all of the, the the terrible things that happen to animals on these farms, which yeah. he goes into in great length. Right. But it's not just about that because there's that story and there's there are those elements that make you think. And I think that it's a, it's a super interesting argument. And it also, to a little bit of a point that, that you made right towards the end, is it it, it is like we, we draw lines between the animals that we love and the animals that we hurt. And like, why, why does that line exist? What is the difference between a dog and a cow? Right. What are the differences between those? It's obviously there's a domesticated um, element to that. But if you look into the types of animals that are on farms, and if you read actually a little bit about the types of animals on farms or even some certain types of fish, some of these animals are you know incredibly incredibly intelligent and they also have very strong you know maternal instincts like cows um with their with their babies they're very loving very nurturing yeah. so why do we do that why do we why do we think that that's okay um to almost i don't want to say objectify but in a sense it is it's objectifying yeah. an animal in a way where you're separating the being from the end product yeah and in the documentary, you can you can really see that uh, with some of the the I don't want to call them small, but some of the the farmers who are actually a part of it and know these animals by by their very faces. And as they get taken off to slaughter, you can see they're visibly upset, like they care about these animals. Yeah, yeah, it's going back to that old school farming where you you get to know, and it is a it is. In the case of chickens, for instance, it is a truly cage-free environment. It is a truly free-range environment. It is. There was also one part of that documentary where the one farmer was showing pictures of these types of chickens, showing um, the 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 lineage and the the heritage of the of the types of chickens that they've had for years and that they're the only they're one of the only farms that still has that type of breed of chicken in the world because the the animal agriculture industry has it's pretty much i mean what they what they've been able to accomplish at such a scale is is genius in the way that they have 
found ways to genetic, almost genetically alter these animals to grow three, four, five times faster than what right. they would. They've, they've come into these like production powerhouses and in the poultry industry, especially the, the, basically the animals are engineered for yeah. the purpose of consumption because they can hardly walk. They can't reproduce. They can't, I think some of them can't even survive outside of the cage. Um, and they, they're literally outgrowing and suffocating themselves. It's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. It is. And let's, let's talk a little bit more about how these changes are, are being made in these animals. And to do that, I, I want to read just a, a quick, uh, Quote from the book, not only juvenile diabetes, but inflammatory and autoimmune diseases that a lot of the docs don't even know what to call. And girls are going through puberty much earlier, and kids are allergic to just about everything. And asthma, it's out of control. Everyone knows it's our food. We're messing with the genes of these animals and then feeding them growth hormones and all kinds of drugs that we really don't know enough about. And then we're eating them. And... I don't know, and I, I, you know, I, I begged this question of you as we went back and forth on this conversation, and I'm not a parent, and I, 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 odds are I probably Likewise. won't. I probably won't be. Um, but uh, you know, as it, you know, any parent who is listening to this, how can you justify going to McDonald's or or KFC or whatever and feeding your kid these cheap chicken nuggets where you're getting six of them for a dollar, and you know these chickens are not not only not humanely raised, but they're being given a bunch of garbage so they can get fat in a matter of weeks. I mean, the, this, we just don't, we're not thinking long-term in regard to the health of not only us, but I think objectively we should say that our children's health is more important than our own. And so I just don't understand why people aren't asking the right questions. They aren't asking, what am I feeding my kids instead of just satiating their desire to have junk food or fast food. Or obviously what they're, what they're willing to sacrifice for convenience. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, and, and I really think coming back to one of the core themes in this book that Foer weaves in, in, into the story is it sounds like he, one of the main purposes for writing this book was were it was that type of question that he had about his son uh, that he is raising and and the types of food and choices that he would make on behalf of his son so that seems like the big question and and what that, that's so hard because you want to um and again i i can't really i can't really speak on having kids either because I, I do not have yeah. children but yeah why is that why is that okay to, to feed them something um, that has so much in it that is, you know, I, I'm trying to think of one of the, one of the things that stood out to me the second time I read the book is I, I didn't pick up on it before, but the volume of antibiotics that are used to feed these animals, yeah. not because they're sick, but just to keep them alive in yes. the conditions that they're in. And, pre and prevent illness, essentially. So they're not treating illness. They are preventing or curing illness a long time because the conditions are so bad that they constantly need to be pumped full of antibiotics. And one of the things in the documentary that was incredibly surprising to me was that I think they said about 80% of antibiotics produced by the pharmaceutical industry 
goes yeah. into the factory farming industry. Yes. That is insane. I know. Because if you think about if you think about the the volume of pharmaceuticals that are for humans, and that's only, you know, in 80% of those are going towards these animals, that's mind blowing. And that's that's something that it's getting into our food. It doesn't go away when you cook. And as humans consume, one of the biggest issue or one of the biggest worries is what happens um, whenever there's some sort of a superbug or these strains of diseases that's jumping from our food to humans. Right. And then because of all the antibiotics, the resistance um, or the lack of resistance, I guess, that we have against those viruses. And it's a bit, it's I don't scary. know if you call it ironic, but we are talking about this in 2020, which is one of arguably the uh, most detrimental years uh, in either one of our lives. Um, and it's, it, it, it for, for, as I understand it, it came from a, a wet market. I mean, it came from, it just made the jump between the, what was it, a bat? I, between the animal-human barrier. And that's, you know, a lot yeah. of that is because of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And it's very, very timely, um, I guess, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, they're like, that's the type of thing. And it, it, it's one of those types of things where if something like that happens, you kind of hope some things will change. Um, but sometimes yeah. they don't. That's a question to, you know, bring to the forefront, you know, who enacts that change? Um, do we, as a public, demand better? Do we battle the lobbyists who are fighting to keep these factory farms open, uh, to create big, to to I guess, keep big industry at bay, or do we rely on the government to set up rules and regulations, set up taxes for foods that are unhealthy for us? I remember there was a sugar tax, I think, in New York, maybe I don't know, ten years ago, and the uproar from it because people wanted to have their jumbo Coke and and pepsi or whatever it is i mean just people want their freedoms more than they want health for themselves which to me i guess in a vacuum would be okay but if you think about long-term net cost for the entire society how it drives up healthcare costs for everybody else that shouldn't be okay that 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 should be something that in my opinion and i this this may a lot of people may disagree with this, but it should be regulated. It should, we should say we should at least be able to promote healthy foods and healthy choices for individuals. I totally agree. It is just, it's very difficult because of all of the power that this industry has, the lobbying, um, the, the money that comes in. There was one part of the documentary that talked about one of the, one of the main players had polluted basically dumped a bunch of stuff. I don't know if it was a, a, a lagoon overflow oh, yeah. or if it, if it was actually just dumped, but ultimately it just poisoned the waterway. It po And then of course those waterways lead into lakes, which lead into oceans and create dead zones and all of this stuff. Yeah, that was, it's, it's yeah. And it, but, the, but, but they tried to, find or they they find that industry and the 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 number was was staggering it was i don't know 20 million it was some some very very high volume a million but based on what the company made in a, even a week it was just a small drop in the bucket and i think the one of the i think it was either the ceo or one of the head guys got that 
in stock options the next year. So they it, like that money needs nothing to them. They can get away with whatever. Right. Right. And it's, that was, it's crazy. Yeah. And the, the, I guess the, the, one of the, uh, you can call him a character if you want, I guess one of the people that the documentary follows, he, he's the one who, you know, found these, these lagoons, these pink lagoons. And, uh, he, uh, he's a fisherman. He saw all these dead fish, all these sores in these fish. And he started developing sores himself from eating the animals out of this lake, which those are very real health effects that are happening in real time. And I, I mean, at that, at that point, does any fisherman out there who, who has a passion for it, I mean, do they demand change? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I mean, I just yeah. want to be very clear. I don't have an answer for how you can change this big industry to clean up their mm-hmm. act. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but you, I mean, you would think because of, of how much it, impacts the waterways for overfill from runoff to uh, deforestation to clear land for even more farm animals to ocean dead zones to species extinction to greenhouse gases climate change you would think that there would be you know this impacts everything this impacts every every aspect of our life every aspect of our planet and in the documentary, there was, I think it was towards the end, they were talking about what would get this to change. And I, I agree with the, it, it, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime because I, the solution is probably not to get this industry to change their ways because there are so many protections in place. There's so much power, but it's to replace it in general, just, yeah. it, just to overhaul the whole entire system. And I think that's something that can start with us. Yeah. I think it can start with, with the choices that we make on, on a given day. And, you know, we have to educate ourselves. We have to be open-minded about where our food comes from. We have to be willing to peel back those layers and we have to, we have to face that whole, the whole ignorance is bliss mentality. I think that's one of the things that I struggle the most with. Um, and it's easy. It's, I agree. It's, it's so easy to, to have that because there are so many different steps that separate the animal from the end product that we don't need to see any of that. We just know that it's there. We know that it will be there. We know it's convenient. We know it's fast. And we just have to understand that, that, you know, these are loving, intelligent, living beings and what is being done to them on such a mass scale is terrible. And it's, it's, it having that ignorance is bliss mentality is not changing the fact that that cruelty is happening. It's, it's still happening. It's, it's causing effects to our bodies. It's causing effects um, to our planet. So we need to, as consumers, I think one of the things we need to do is we need to start leveraging that power in numbers. We need to start influencing our vote essentially for the choices that we make and and consider every dollar that we spend like a vote. And we can either vote to carry on with that ignorance is bliss mentality. We can continue to fund things that support cruelty, abuse, and unnecessary suffering and support the destruction of our waterways, air, planet. Or we can vote to shift our behavior even just a little bit in the beginning to open up our minds and support something different and shift our buying power towards alternatives that will start that industry to start to turn the wheels in motion to get them into more of a panic 
as we gravitate towards a healthier direction. And it's going to take a very, very long time for us to get there. And I feel like we are on some sort of a clock, not to sound like you know a conspiracy theory, but I feel like our planet is a ticking time bomb right now, climate-wise. Yeah. Um, and I think there are even some estimates of of when yep. there's going to be multiple, like mass species extinction in the ocean. It's just very scary to think about, but we just have to, we have to evolve and we have to think differently. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think a lot of people worry or I guess shy away from making changes because they feel like they need to change the world. And that's, that's a, that's a, not a great mindset to take because it can be overwhelming, but you can make a difference by, like Robbie said, voting, not only in the polls, which are coming up very soon, but with your wallets too. And that, that does make a difference. And, and you can start educating your peers and your family and your friends about why you're doing that. You don't have to, you don't have to preach to them. I mean, you don't have to, you know, say you need to do this. Just explain your reasoning and, and why it's passionate to you. And maybe, just maybe you might inspire somebody else to do that same change and then they inspire two people and then it snowballs from there. Even in the last 10 or 15 years, you've seen fast food companies like McDonald's providing better or healthier options for their customers because people are starting to, to demand healthier diets for themselves, which, which is extremely it's, it's, it's encouraging and it's, it's, uh, it's influential for others in the industry. And you know, you've seen fast food restaurants like McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's suffer a little bit because fast casual has become commonplace like a Chipotle and BB Bop. And I'm not saying they're, you know, light years ahead of the game, but they certainly claim to source better ingredients and that, you know, can go, that can help others want to do the same, which is important. I mean, even for myself, I just visiting a farmer's market and talking with people who actually handle your food. I mean, it, it can really make a light bulb, uh, make like make a light bulb, you know, click on in your mind, which is, um, it can be life-changing. And that's, that's really well put. I mean, that change doesn't have to be this insurmountable weight that's on your shoulders. It can just be a simple choice that you make in one meal today. There are people who do, sometimes they'll do like a vegan Monday or uh, I've heard vegan, veganuary, I forget what it is, but it's like <laughs> going vegan for a month. It, it, you don't have to even go that extreme, but you can make that choice because the choice is that even some of the types of foods that you eat have a much, much bigger impact than you realize. And that's that's something that's really difficult today. There's a documentary out now can't remember what it is, but it's, it, it focuses on a single type of food or a single type of product and how popular it is here, but yet how it devastates the economy that it comes from. And we don't see that. And it's, it's impossible to make the perfect choice every single time, but there are some choices that do carry more weight. And one of the things that sticks out to me, there's a really good documentary called Cowspiracy, and it's just full of of lots of lots of really good um, information that you can take with a grain of salt, but right. it, it's really interesting. And, and one of the things that I heard about it is that um, they said that a pound of beef to get to the point of being a pound of beef can take up to twenty five hundred gallons of water. Yeah, to produce. 
And not and to mention the carbon footprint of, you know, transporting it to its end eater. Yeah, which 25 gallon or 2,500 gallons is, I think I did a calculation before this, so sorry if I, if I forgot the figures, but 2,500 gallons, I think our average shower is uh, 17 gallons from what I quickly Googled which is about 140 something showers that that <laughs> that that one pound of beef uh, equates to. So it's really thinking, you know, what are we what are we sacrificing in the bigger picture for just a few minutes of of enjoyment of of eating that sometimes we are so in our heads that we don't even remember the meals that we eat. So <laughs> what, you know, is a, is a life of an animal, a life of a very intelligent living being suffering its whole entire life. Right. Granted, it's a much shorter life, but it's not a great one. And, and going through, you know, from start to finish to afterwards is, is at what point is that worth it for just a few minutes of having a meal? Agreed. And that's a great question to ask yourself every time you sit down, to, to eat a fast food burger to, or to eat any sort of meat yeah. product. And one more stat to, to throw at you if that wasn't compelling enough. 87,000 pounds of crap. I haven't cussed yet in this episode, so I'll refrain from doing so. 87,000 pounds of crap per second. That is how much the, uh, the livestock in the United States produces per second, which is 1.37 billion tons of solid animal waste each year. I can't imagine that. Yeah. Oh, anyway. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, like the methane, the methane. And yeah. like, if you've, I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever driven past um, a, a commercial farm, but uh, you will not forget that smell ever. I've only done it once. I've heard horror and, stories. Oh man. But it, 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 it's just horrible. And it's, it's it's hard for people around um you know who live near that um especially when some of these small family farms when the the, the land around them is being purchased or right. um run ultimately by by these these big farms it smells terrible but that <laughs> methane that's going up into the air is one of the worst things for um like greenhouse for emissions it's yeah. it's i think it's even worse yeah it's one of the worst uh one of the worst offenders and that all has to go somewhere too. Right. <laughs> so there in comes the waterways. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it it's it's a really tough question because when you if you try to talk about this in some way, it throws up the defenses of someone else. And even if it's well intentioned, because the one thing that we have, like, there's, there's so much that's tied to food. There's, there's memories, there's dishes that were made by, you know, people who like maybe a grandparent or someone, there's, there's a lot of memory and a lot of sentiment tied to the food that we eat. Right. And there's a lot that we look for, you know, we think as we're, we're so busy for, for convenience and also a lot that, you know, a lot of people do think that a lot of these plant-based products, a lot of these, meals that you would have to prep or something like that would that they cost way too much and i've actually heard that argument from a lot of friends that it, you know you can eat plant-based but you have to you have to make quite a bit of money so it's so much easier to get something that's convenient and cheap that's not necessarily the case there are 
Um, if you know how to prep right, if you know how to find the right stuff, it's really not that much more expensive. And yeah. it's much more it's much more nurturing or, or nourishing. Sorry, not nurturing, <laughs> nourishing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've heard something that, you know, we eat if you eat junk food, you're eating so much more food, but you're starving yourself because you're not getting the right nutrients. You're not getting, um, you know, something that you would get out of a uh, plant based meal. Yeah, and I, I obviously have not done the math, but if you think about how much you need to get full on on junk food, you're going to end up, end up spending more than you would on a, you know, well prepared plant based diet, like you just said. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's it's just really a matter of question of uh, it's just taking some time to to evaluate our choices, and I know that that is a it's a difficult thing to do. And you don't have to change your life overnight and going back to fad diets. That's something, you know, I'm going to start this tomorrow. I'm going to go 110%. It's maybe start by going 5% yeah, and then start and then jump up to 10 and slowly everybody is different in some way. There's no optimal level of nutrition for everybody. You know, everybody's different. So it's just experiment, have some fun with it. And I will say that I feel like I eat more food more different types of food now than I ever have since before I, I, I started eating more plant-based and one of the, I, I, my favorite question is what do you eat? Like, literally, literally, like but what do you eat? And it's like, there's so much more out there, there really than is. meat and dairy. Yeah. And it's delicious. It's so good too. And even the, um, and I'll say one last thing here is just that this process is, has, also changed my perception of should we all just go plant-based in in an unrealistic world? Yes. But realistically, people are still going to want it and that's okay. But the meat in the market that's out there now that, what is it? Is it 99% of farmland is owned by a factory farm? I, I would not be surprised. No, I would no, not be surprised. 99, sorry. 99% of meat comes from a factory farm. Okay. And uh, factory farms take up one third of the world's surface. I think that's non-ice surface. So the type of meat that it's coming from, like you saw Trey in the documentary, it was there was the one farmer who create or who uh, stays true to the roots of the generations of the farm and produces yes. these just beautiful chickens and chickens has and difficult. Uh, I forget which one it was, but it was the one where he started selling it to the restaurant yeah, and the yeah. restaurant was like, this is the best tasting, uh, or maybe it was pork. I obviously right. yeah. remember that one well, but it was like, this is the best tasting we've ever got. And it's because it does taste different because it's not laced with hormones. It's not, um, you know, it hasn't been soaking in fluid. It's, 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 uh, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, one last point I want to make going back to what you were saying about fad diets and going 110% overnight. I, I just had uh, Luke Dupron on as a guest, um, and he is a personal trainer and a coach. And to this very point, you'll see people who will go all out for 30 days and then they'll just, they'll quit. His personal preference is seeing people who work three days, work out three days a week, and they'll see better and better results because they're more committed to the long-term goals, which can easily be translated to your diet. If you can eat plant-based for two or three days a week and you can start to see the benefits, not only, you know, 
outwardly, but you start to feel better yourself when you're eating cleaner and better food, whether or not that's plant-based or even animal-based. If you're eating food that is better for you and not laced with a whole bunch of crap, you as a individual start to feel better yourself. So if you can start to build that into your habits, it's much, much easier to, I guess, to digest and no pun intended, you know, a new, <laughs> a new way of life. Exactly. Yeah. But, just uh, takes it takes some, some some easy steps and yeah. some consistency and you'll get there. Yes. And I will say, if you are thinking about it, you you the odds of you getting a protein deficiency are very very low, especially if you <laughs> especially if you eat plants. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Because that I mean that's where a lot of the protein comes from. There's one more. I know I'm dropping documentaries and and was trying to stay more towards this book, but there is a documentary. Uh, called the game changers, which is super, super interesting because it touches on some of the most elite athletes in the world who are going plant-based. It also talks about one of the strongest man alive who is a vegan. And this dude is like, does not look like it at all. But if you think about something that I think about are are some of the strongest land animals like elephants and gorillas, they're mostly plant-based animals. They're not eating meat. Yeah. So if you if you put it in context like that, eating plants, there's no real science of. I, I, a lot of people get really hung up on trying to figure out the right percentage of X, Y, and Z and which nutrients to get, and it's thinking about it more as a holistic system. Um, and there's a lot of good information out there, but I, I think from the the whole protein myth. And I, you're not, I don't think you're going to get, <laughs> there's some doctors that say that it's very hard for, or it's very, it's been very rare for them to see protein deficiencies. And you know, this is complete conspiracy theory and this is not something I often do, but I have to imagine that very argument was probably perpetuated by the industry. If I had to guess, uh, it was, it, it, I'm sure it was probably propaganda at some point in time to make people continue consuming meat. Yeah. Or milk does a body good, right? It, right. it builds strong bones. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, an interesting thing there is that I did a I did a this off report on um, on the dairy industry and the leverage that it has. And one of the things um, that was interesting was that the unit the United States the the per capita consumption of dairy that we take in, and we have one of like the highest rates of all countries of like hip fractures and things like that. You would think that our bones would be so strong, but supposedly what milk does is it makes our body very acidic and that acidity needs to be neutralized. And what it does is it will leach calcium from our bones. So it makes bones more brittle. That's an interesting argument about the whole milk does a body good if it's technically breaking down our bones. Yeah. Um, so for, <laughs> for reference, all the documentaries that you mentioned, I will, I'll probably have to connect with you after this so we can make sure that we, all of our eggs are in the row or in a row. Uh, but I will link to all those yeah. in the show notes and I, I do intend to watch, especially the last one you mentioned. Um, you know, when you see these elite athletes and performers who are dedicating their lives to doing amazing things and are, are plant-based, uh, in their diets, that's, that's, that's some, uh, incentive to, to make a change. Um, but I, I do know before we got into this conversation, we were curious about how long this is going to last and how, you know, how in depth we could get. And obviously it's been an awesome conversation and I'm, I'm sure we can go even longer, but before I wrap up, you know, like you mentioned, we're both bibliophiles. We both love books and, uh, 
I, I guess instead of delving into a bunch of books we've read recently, if you had to re-answer the question, you know, what your most life-changing book has been either recently or even, you know, second in, in line, um, what, what, what would you say now? Ah, uh, that Sorry. one got me off guard. I put you on the spot. I didn't <laughs> warn you about that. <laughs> totally. No, it, it, it's good. I, it, it, it's good to think about that. Um, I read a very interesting book recently it was called oh man we're gonna have to throw this one in the show notes um it's called the something of breath it's uh i'm obviously doing this book justice by (laughs) by raving about it when i can't even remember the name um but it is a book uh let's throw it up in the show notes afterwards but it is um i don't know if it's called the science of breath but it is about the way that we breathe um, and a lot of cases and stories about how people have changed the way that they breathe, that, that they use their breath in a way that has drastically changed their life. And I'll just leave it at that. It was a, it was a super, super interesting book an entertaining read. Um, and I really wish I knew the title and didn't feel like an ass right now. <laughs> That's um, I, I feel like I've heard of this book before and I, I, I too can't think of the title, but it, it's, it sounds fascinating. I mean, what, you know, as a meditation instructor and practitioner yourself, I, I'm, I don't know, was the book based on meditation and breath work or was this just in general, the way people generally breathe in their everyday lives? In general, like in general, the way people breathe, it does touch on some techniques and things like that. And I did, I, I cheated. I, I did a quick Google search. Uh, so the book is called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. Okay. That is, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting one. Um, but yeah, I, I think that one is, is super inter- interesting. Even the way that, um, how people have changed their facial structure by breathing through their nose versus breathing out of their mouth. Right. And there's a whole section of the book on just breathing in and out through the nose versus, uh, mouth breathing. And, and that alone, I, it's one of those things that it's so basic it's something that we do every day. It, it, it's, it's similar to that. It's something that it's something that we do every day to survive. Yes. And it's something that we've done so many times that we don't think about. So it's cool to think about the breath in different ways that you can impact the way that you function ultimately. And you don't need a lot to do it because you're already breathing right now. You just change the way that you do it. So that was a fascinating book. And there have been some references in that that have I usually like to read those types of books and then reference the the books that they mention and then just go on a rabbit hole. So that's where I'm at. I love that. I love that. I love thinking about the things that we do every day in a new light. We live in a very exciting time where there's research being done in all of these places. We have the technology to do it well. Um, I'm, we probably talked about this book at, uh, in our last conversation. Did I mention why we sleep to you? Possibly. Okay. I highly encourage you to read that book. Um, okay. Speaking of something else we do or are supposed to do every single day, um, it will, and, and I, I use this very loosely, it'll scare the crap out of you um, to, to getting more sleep and how much damage we're doing to our bodies by getting less than yeah. seven or eight hours of sleep a night. Does it talk a lot about the brain and the effects that not sleeping does to yes. our brain and yep. how that whole process works? That's great. That stuff is crazy. It is. And It's just, it's such a strong case for, you know, I know people who pride themselves on saying, you know, I I only need a few hours of sleep each night, but it's like long-term, you have to start thinking about that. 
Yeah, and if I remember correctly, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm at best paraphrasing here. You know, lack of sleep can cause anything up to cancer, which is obviously not something that we want. With such a simple, you know, way to to avoid it. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that's scary. Yeah. I, so what is that called again? Why We Sleep by uh, Matthew Walker. Um, really, really fascinating book. He's done many, many podcast interviews all the way up to Joe Rogan. And he's just, he, he seems like a, a very smart and uh, well-spoken guy. Nice. Yeah. I will definitely add that to my list. And I don't know if I asked you, okay, I'll put you on the spot now. Okay. I don't know if I've asked, I don't know if I've asked you what your life-changing book is, or yeah. if that has changed recently with something that you've read. Cause I know you read a lot as yeah. well. So I, um, last, well, I guess it would have been in August. I finished my 52 books in 52 weeks, and that was really, really transformative for me. Um, but nice. I will say my life-changing book uh, was solidified three or four years ago, and I really don't see it ever changing. Maybe it will. But it's e Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, oh, yeah. By far my favorite author. And it, it just – I used to be so – driven by ego and narcissism and thinking that I knew everything that I was, I was stagnating my, my, my growth, my, my both emotional and actual intelligence, because I was not opening myself up to new opportunities because I didn't think I had room to learn from them. And so when I understood what ego truly was and that, the effect that I was having on my life, I was able to really make big changes. And, um, that is one book that I, wow. I need to go back and reread because I've only read it once and it, it has had such an incredible effect since then. So yeah. I would highly encourage anybody check him out and check that book out. His book is, uh, his, his books are really, really good. Um, and that, that's a great way to put it. I, I, that's the, yeah. What have you I've read? Said that. I'm better about myself. Like that's such <laughs> the way that that, uh, when a book has the power to change you like that, that's when you know it, it's something special. Yeah. And his books have a power of doing that. Have you read uh, Strength and Stillness? That's another good one of his. No, I I don't know if I've, I've, I've got many of his books and I don't think I even knew about that one. Strength and Stillness? Yeah. Okay. No, I will I think that's check that out. I will say though, when you were talking about that, the you know the narcissist in me was a little offended that you didn't say that eating animals was your life changing book. So it was it was a very good I, uh, book, and I have to imagine that's going to have um, profound. I'm a little bit hurt, Trey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, when you say strength and stillness, did you mean stillness is the key? Stillness is the key. Yes. Okay, I have read that. Yeah. and that's a very good book. Okay, what is strength and stillness? This is going to bother me now. So actually, ego of the enemy, or ego is the enemy, and stillness is the key. Those are the last two books in what he calls a trilogy. Obstacle, the obstacles, the way is the first book. Um, I read them yeah, a lot of order, but um, they, they, that those three books are amazing. And so, for anybody who is not tired of hearing me talk about Ryan Holiday, he is a modern day stoic, um, and is extremely intelligent and well spoken. Um, if you ever have a chance to listen to him just speak and talk about uh, the philosophy of stoicism, it's I've heard him and I've heard Tim Ferriss, I've heard others credit stoicism with being an operating system for life. And uh, I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of it right now. But um, it's really, really profound uh, the way people who practice stoicism, stoicism live. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. All right, Robbie, I really, really appreciate you doing this, man. Uh, this was an incredible conversation. It was a really, really exciting way to bring 
a previous guest back on in the podcast, and I'm I, I would be honored if you do it again with me, uh, especially you know considering our love for books. So truly, thank you so much for doing this. And thanks for having me, man. I've I've really enjoyed uh, every minute of this. It's it's always cool to just uh, nerd out on books, and would be very happy to do it again. Good. Well, I think we should, and so. If people want to learn more about you, especially, I mean, I know we, we talked briefly about it in the beginning. We, we talked at length about it previously. You are a meditation instructor. You do, um, you do own Tune Inward. If people want to find out more about you and your practice or even just talk with you about uh, veganism, how can they reach you? Yeah, so the best way to, meet, uh, to uh, reach me would be uh, through tuneinward.com. Um, just how it sounds, just tune and then inward. And then there's also uh, Robbie at tuneinward.com. Um, I know I threw my email out there maybe might get some interesting emails. But anyway, outside of that, uh, you could go ahead and reach me through that. And yeah, happy to talk about a lot of different types of things from meditation to um, any more stuff on this. I, I don't usually talk about uh, the whole uh, veganism thing. As I said, I, I usually am pretty quiet about that. But um, always like to talk when asked. And that, that is one of the other things that you can do if uh, you ever want to learn something. If I know anybody who is um, happy to talk about plant-based, it is uh, either a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, you usually can't get them to shut up sometimes. So I will say that they are a good resource as well. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to it already, make sure you go back and check out the first time Robbie was in the podcast. I don't remember the episode number, but I will put in the show notes and uh, you can hear his fascinating story about how he went on his own silent meditation retreat, which was phenomenal. And I still hope to do so myself. So again, Robbie, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Trey. Once again, I would like to extend a huge, huge thank you to my good friend, Robbie, for joining me back on the Mosaic Life podcast. If you haven't previous to this conversation, please go back, check out episode 37 with Robbie. Again, we had a great conversation about meditation and tune inward and his own personal silent meditation retreat, which was absolutely fascinating to me. And also, I believe the next episode was his personal meditation that he provided for the podcast. So check those two out. Check out Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And be sure to check out the show notes for this episode at the mosaiclifepodcast.com. It is full of all of the resources that Robbie and I talked about here. As a reminder, if you are on Instagram, be sure to follow me at Trey Kaufman, where I post all sorts of podcast related content, as well as inspiring and personal growth messages. And if Facebook is more your speed, just search for the Mosaic Life podcast and the podcast page will pop up. Lastly, if Apple Podcast is your podcast platform of choice, leaving a five-star review for the Mosaic Life podcast goes a long way in helping others just like yourself discover this wonderful content that my guests provide. Thank you all again so incredibly much for taking over an hour of your time to spend with Robbie and myself today. I hope you got a lot of value out of it. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.